Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. This will be our last Sunday in the Gospel of John. Next week we'll be in the short little letter of Jude. And look forward to that. I love the book of Jude. I love them all. I think anytime I start a new one, I say, oh, this is my favorite. Because it's the one I'm in. Um, But Jude is a powerful, uh, quick reminder um, to contend for the faith. But today we're going to look at Jesus' last instructions to his disciples and the Uh, according to the Gospel of John, and then we will um, look at uh, briefly uh, the end of chapter 20 and the story of Jesus and Thomas. Friends, I'll just start by saying that the church is a movement. It is not an institution. I was reminded of that this week by a dear friend of mine who came to visit with our staff. The church is a movement. It is not an institution. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before you, acknowledge that you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are our sustainer. You are holy. You are the ancient of days. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of eternal life through faith and trust in him. Lord, as we close out this gospel of John today, I want to thank you for your servant who faithfully put to parchment that which you inspired, that which is inerrant, that which is true. And it is the truth of the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray that not only would we believe and receive this word, but also share this clear record of life with others so that the glory covers the name of Jesus. Father, until the whole world hears, we pray. Amen. Chapter 20, there's a very central truth for the church today. It was important for the disciples, and it's vital that we cling to it today as our own. The church is not an institution, it is a movement. And if you are in Christ, You are a part of that movement. You are a part of it. And if you're in Christ and you think that you can abdicate your role in the movement, then you might not be following Christ like you think you are. The movement means that you and I are continuously sent. Everywhere we go, we are sent. I praise the Lord for allowing us this day to live in his rule and his reign. And in that rule and reign of our life, we are called by him and we are sent. And John chapter 20 is what I believe to be very important important initiatives coming for us in 2024. I'll talk about those in a minute. But it is because of John chapter 20 verse 21 that I believe those initiatives are extremely important. 
living a life that is sent is extra. You may have to Google that phrase. What does it mean to be extra? I keep hearing that phrase in my home from my daughters, my teenage daughters, and my wife who has picked up the vernacular of middle school. It's extra. It's amazing. It's hard. It's over the top. But the prevailing culture today, really over the last three to four centuries, has been the pursuit of progress. The pursuit of progress. That comes from Ed Stetzer. He's a guru of research and thinking and has been on different seminary levels and once was the head of Lifeway uh, at a time, Lifeway Research. But he wrote in this book called Subversive Kingdom. He said this. He said, we are sent into a culture. And in that culture, we must live and function and minister in that culture that wants no limits on personal freedom. That's our behavior. A culture that has embraced consumerism and a culture that will do what it takes to get what it wants. Try harder, work longer, get smarter, take charge. That's progress. We've seen it in technology, the advances that really, I don't know, maybe someday set us back more than they set us forward. What our nation would now consider uh, to be appropriate pronouns in the normalization of deviant sexual behavior even in the church, it's progress, according to our culture. But the story of God and what Scripture teaches is not progress, but redemption. Redemption from what is broken. You see, progress versus redemption, one fails miserably at trying to create heaven on earth in the perfect utopia to bring peace, while the other, through the Son of God's atoning death at the cross, was sent here to redeem those who are oppressed by this world system. One fails, the other cannot, will not, has never failed, and will win every time. And it's not progress. Redemption wins every time. You see, you go back to the beginning from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and on, we see that God was on a mission. God's mission is to redeem lost sinners. God's mission... Before that, though, was that God would be glorified. If you remember back to John 17, where Jesus was praying, his first and most important prayer was that the Father would be glorified through him. And as the Son was glorified, then the Father would be glorified. Right? And so along that path of God's glory, sin entered the story and ruined and stained the heart of man. And now, from Genesis 3.15, God set forth to bring forth the Redeemer. He promised the Redeemer would come. And as you follow the story through the Old Testament, the promise was renewed time and time again, from Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, Job, the time of Moses, Joshua, Judges. You can see the, 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 the story of the Redeemer moving forward in the time of Naomi and Ruth and the kinsman Redeemer. Out of the judges comes the time of Samuel and David and Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, all of the prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all the minor prophets, till we get to the time of John the baptizer, the one of the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, and then our Lord, the, the Redeemer, 
Jesus came. And it's at this point in John's gospel that we've read already, we've read of the crucifixion. If you're following through our annual reading, or at least you'll read it through this week, but then you'll come to chapter 20. But by the time you get to 20, the crucifixion's already happened. The early parts of chapter 20 is the day of resurrection. And what we look at, and when Jesus is speaking, verse 21, it is the day of the resurrection. It's in the evening. As John captured it for us, there is a definite continuation of the mission of God. It didn't stop when Jesus ascended back into heaven. That mission continues today, and it's lived out in and through the church. Not that there's still a need for a redeemer, for Jesus has, has come as the redeemer, and he will always be the redeemer. We are not taking his place. He will always be that great redeemer. But the mission continues because we, the disciples of Christ, the followers, are sent. He is speaking directly to the disciples who, who would be apostles being sent out. But that mission is carried on still today through the church. And we join them in that sent commissioning because you and I today still face a task unfinished. It is a task that is unfinished and we will carry it on for the next generation and the next generation until the race is won. Amen? Our call to mission is found right here in verse 21. A part of what God did was that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. Now Jesus, having full authority from God the Father, sends the disciples, sends the church. And what you find here in verse 21 is the missionary heart of God. That's why I say if you abdicate your role from the mission, you're not following Jesus. I'm just going to say it like that. You can't follow Jesus with the Father and his missionary heart and Jesus and his missionary heart and say, I follow Jesus and not take on that same missionary heart. It ought to become who you are. It ought to become a part of your DNA in following Christ. He didn't send the disciples to go out to be Messiahs, but he sent them to proclaim the Messiah, to proclaim the gospel, and that's what we are to do. And as the church, we carry that mission forward. And our mission is defined by the Son of God who sends us. It's not defined by the pastor or some clever mission statement or vision statement or anything like that. It's not formulated by the deacons or a leadership council or even our denomination. It is formulated, defined by the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, who was sent and is now sending us. So let's walk through this this morning and see all the important moments for the disciples, how they apply for us, specifically verse 21. I want to start there with verse 19, if you follow along as I read. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Friend, I want you to know, first off, be assured you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. Notice the first things that the disciples are in a tough spot, okay? They're in a tight spot. They are gathered together in a day that has already produced some amazing, amazing life-changing experiences for a couple of them. The disciples, uh, Peter and John, had already been to the tomb. Mary had already seen him, spoken to him in the garden. It is that evening. But they're behind locked doors, probably a door, most likely even the gate, because they're afraid of the Jews. Most likely, those are the religious leaders that had Jesus crucified, they're worried, they're stressed about what a group like that might do to them. And so they're, they're hiding out. 
And what we also see is that John, if we were to go through the entire Gospel of John, you would, you would have heard this multiple times from me, but John often has uh, a double meaning. Not contradictory meanings, but that he, he uses his wording and his imagery in a way that there, there are two sides to what he's talking about. And so in John's mind, perhaps it is to here to show us that nothing was going to stop the resurrection of Jesus. And nothing was going to stop him from appearing to his disciples. Not a stone, not a locked door. And as they're sitting here, Jesus appeared to them. It says, Jesus came and stood among them. He came to them again. He'd already appeared. Now it is time for those minus Thomas in the room to see him and interact with him. I think it goes without saying, you know me well enough after uh, two and a half years to know that I have absolutely no idea how Jesus got into the room. And anyone else who says they know, they're pulling your leg. The Bible doesn't say how it happened. We can guess. We can take, maybe he's a master locksmith. I mean, he is. He's got the whole world in his hands. Did he pick the lock and go through? Did he walk through the walls? Who knows? But what we do know is that he was fully human in the flesh. Why? Because he eats fish. He says, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat, boys. And so he eats right there in front of him. He says, here's the scars. We know it's not an apparition. He's not a ghost. He's fully in the room. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on trying to figure out how Jesus got in the room. We don't need to, to worry about that at this point. Suffice it to say, this is the power of God at work. And as stunning as this moment is, the bigger picture is about what Jesus says. When he says, from the Prince of Peace himself, he offers shalom, peace, blessings, completeness, well-being, peace. And then what he does, he shows them how he purchased that peace for them through his hands and his side. Here's what it means. It means that the Jesus that these disciples are seeing in chapter 20 is not an imposter. It's not somebody with good makeup artistry or anything like that. It is Jesus, a real body. His hands, his side, he's not a phantom, he's not a ghost. It is Jesus. It was not just his spirit, but it was his spirit and his body that rose from the grave. It is Jesus. And the peace that he has spoken to these disciples in that room, it was real. It was not just spoken, but actually given. How can we say that? Because he just purchased it on the cross. He had just purchased it with his body at the cross. By his wounds, Isaiah said, we are healed. By his wounds, we have peace with God. You see, Jesus is the prince of peace, which means he's the mediator of peace. Through his reconciling death on the cross. He is the one. He can truly say, peace be to you. And when the presence of Jesus, friends, becomes real to us, when we sense that he is with us, that peace overwhelms us. And it's a peace that Paul says is too much for us to comprehend. But then it leads us to worship him. It leads us to honor him. And it leads us to live for him. And then when he applies the gospel of peace to our hearts, to our souls, he provides the Holy Spirit and we are led again to worship. And as we see the peace of God come over these disciples, Jesus wastes no time. As he said this, peace be with you in verse 20, he has shown them the evidence of who he is. And the disciples are glad when they saw the Lord, they rejoiced. 
when they saw the Lord, the presence of their Lord, the presence of peace overwhelming their hearts, calming their fears. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It is possible to have peace with God and inside that peace then we live on mission for Jesus. We live on mission for Jesus. We will live on mission for Jesus. The new life that Jesus gives us involves following him, involves living a sent life. You see, when we get away from obedience and living in that sent life, we can really get off course. It's kind of like my golf shots. If you've ever played golf, there's a couple of men in this church that have hit the clubs with me and they know how bad my golf ball gets off course. I didn't intend it to go off course, but it didn't listen to its master. It has a mind of its own, and it always goes to the right. There's one guy in this church that has hit one backwards. I don't know how that happened. It wasn't me. But when we're not living in obedience, when we're not walking and living in that sacrificial life, we get off course. But once we have life in Christ and we are committed and sincerely focused on him, we are called then to live on mission for Jesus. It is a part of the call. When we surrender our life to him, it's not just, Lord Jesus, save me. But you notice what I said before Jesus, what? Lord. It means he's my boss. He's my commander. He's the captain of my faith. I submit to his will. I submit to his mission. For John, this is the great commission. This is his great commission. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. He prayed for it. If you remember back when we looked at the prayer of Jesus last week, he prayed for this. There in verse uh, 18, he says, as you sent me, he's talking to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. And this is that commissioning. Oh, beloved, we have but a brief moment on the face of this earth. We have but a brief moment that God has given us here. And we don't know when that brief moment is. If you think about time and history, we are but a speck on the timeline of history and how far back it goes. We have just a moment for this grand purpose, this glorious purpose that God has given to us. He has commissioned the disciples. Their time was just for a moment. But they passed it on to Timothy and passed it on to others. And the next generation, and the next generation. We've had some scary moments in between. We've had some moments that were the dark ages that wasn't so great for the church. But yet somehow the gospel continued. The gospel went forward. And in today, when, when technology has opened the doors to countries all over the world, that the gospel can go forward. And there's nowhere we can't go with our feet in the gospel when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we aren't just taking his grace and going back to the old way of life to live how I want to live. No, we are repenting of sin. We are turning away from it. No matter what the circumstance is in your life, you're turning away from sin. And now we're walking with Jesus in this personal, eternal relationship with God. And we have a mission to go on. As we're walking in obedience to the Father, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim that message. This is who we are as the church. We're not just to sit around and keep getting more knowledge and do nothing with it. We gain more knowledge so that we can apply it to our life and we become more like Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those 
who carry the good news, Paul said. And it is that good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that our sins can be and will be forgiven by God's grace. It wouldn't make much sense if Jesus told us what to do and didn't, didn't grant us the grace of his presence and power to accomplish it. Matthew's gospel captured Jesus' promised presence in the Great Commission. That as we go and make disciples, he said, I will be with you even until the end of the age. So as we make disciples, we bring glory to Jesus, which brings glory to God the Father. Friends, we can be assured as we're on that mission, we can be assured of his power. If we are walking in the will of God and we are submitting to the Lordship of Christ, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit will be there. Now, we look at the next part of this uh, this text, verse 22, and he said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So if you were to study that text, especially verse 22 and even verse 23, you will find that there's quite a debate as to actually what happened here. Was it a first Pentecost before the, main, the big Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? There's lots of questions, lots of things going on here. I'm not going to debate that, but here's the gist of what, uh, where I settled this week. Jesus didn't give them a toy on Christmas without the batteries. Okay? I believe this moment marks the time of the disciples. For me, where I settled, I think this is when the disciples are regenerated, right? When, when they're born again, Okay? Uh, that's where I settled on it. There are other possibilities that are just as solid and just as straightforward. One is that it is a foretaste of what will occur at Pentecost, that he gave them the Holy Spirit to get them through the next time until the day of Pentecost, which was sometime down the road, a couple of weeks. But we don't want to pull apart. I don't want to pull apart the particulars, right, because we're going to get lost in the central message. The, the central message is that, that Jesus doesn't command them to go without the fulfillment of his promise, of power and presence. He promised them in John 14 of another helper, a counselor, a, a helper that would come along, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there, and he, he does it so his followers, they have this new breath of life, and the Spirit is, is, it comes and falls at Pentecost so that the church is empowered to do the will of the Father through the Son. Friends, this is the message we proclaim to the end of time. That message is this. That sins, the forgiveness of sins is extended by the proclamation of the church of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if we, will be, if we will do that, we will know the presence of Jesus. We will know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. As long as we stay on mission, as long as we stay on task, we will know his presence and we will know his power. Too often times, though, we look to the hope of our own merit for that kind of position in God. We might look to the idols of our heart to forgive us rather than staying on task and staying on mission and following Jesus. But beloved, only the power of Jesus will forgive sin and his blood will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We can be assured of his power. Next, we can believe in the promise of his presence in verse 20. Jesus, uh, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus promised his disciples, I am with you to the end of the age. Beloved, we cannot go without him. How dare we think we can go on mission or even gather to worship without his presence? 
If we gather without his presence, if you gather with your life group, your D group, your, your men's group, your women's group on your retreat days, your breakfast, or we go on a trip somewhere someday, whatever we do, if we gather without him, we are in our own strength and that is a failure. We go with him for he has promised to be with us and the spirit is the reality of that promise. The last thing I finished with this morning is this, that well, it's not the last thing. We still got to talk about Thomas because I think this is played out in Thomas's life is that we are sent until the mission is over. We are sent until the mission is over. The Gettys, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, new uh, hymn writers, if you've ever heard In Christ Alone, I think that was kind of their first big new hymn that came out in the mid-90s. They're still producing wonderful music. One of those came out several years ago called uh, Task Unfinished. I believe it's actually an old hymn that we face a task that is unfinished. And it should drive us to our knees. Because we are sent until the mission is over. Well, when is the mission over? When God says it is. If you read Revelation chapter 7, John looks and he says, A great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When you see that happening and you're there and you hear all these languages and you see all these people that are different color than you, you'll know the race is over you'll know that we finished and Christ has won and we will celebrate together. But not until that day. Not until that day. I want to share with you a couple of initiatives that I believe are important for us coming up in 2024. One is a partnership with a church planter. We want, well, I think it's vital and important that a healthy church like Coastal Oaks continue to support new church plants and new church starts. So as a missions team, as we've met over the last, well, really 18 months to year, uh, two years almost, that we've been talking about this, I brought this up to them that we need to be supporting church planters, not just financially, but with manpower, sending small teams throughout the year to help as they have need. And so I'm going to go to Seattle, Washington in a couple of weeks with a representative uh, from the North American Mission Board. I'm going to meet four church planters, and you just ask that you would pray that God would show me which one Coastal Oaks needs to partner with. Um, I look forward to that. I think it's going to op open up opportunities for different ways, different things. And Seattle is a, an incredibly dark place. Um, I think something like less than 3% of the population is evangelical. Um, my, own, my own family has planted a church in Tacoma, which is the kind of the twin, smaller twin sister of Seattle, uh, maybe the ugly stepsister of Seattle. I don't know how you'd want to call that. Um, but they, they gave it 13 incredible years to God's glory. Lives were changed um, in, that, in that place, in a very hard place to plant. And so we as a healthy church will commit to pray for that church planter. We will send teams and we will uh, support them financially. The second partnership that is developing is uh, with uh, a Gemeinde uh, in Germany um, around Hamburg. And um, we are looking at um, taking a, a team of 15 to 16 people to go uh, uh, lead a baseball camp. Baseball is not the good news, but it is the bait. 
um, and we hook them with Jesus uh, through that time as we build relationships with them every day. Um, the team leaders uh, will be sharing the gospel with, the, with their baseball team as they teach. And so we're looking forward to that in the evenings. Um, baseball camp runs all day in the evenings. We'll come back either to the field or to the local church um, and uh, host evangelistic services where we've invited their families to come. Um, and we have reasons for them to come back. And our team will be sharing the gospel. We'll be sharing testimonies. Uh, we'll be leading in worship. We have this thing called Texas Night, which is really weird. We all dress up like they think we dress every day, which is cowboy boots and all that stuff. Um, my dad has even taught roping, how to rope a calf. Yes, we carried uh, uh, that with us, um, and uh, they just think that's the greatest thing. What are we doing with that? We're partnering, just like we do in Seattle. We're partnering with the church on the other side of the world. These are, these are uh, a first step, a first step someday when the Lord tells me, you've had your time here, it's time to retire. I don't know when that's going to be. I hope, I hope it's a long, long time from now. But I would love to look back and see that this church took it upon this mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, that we would take on an unreached people group. But we got to take baby steps. we got to take steps to get there. I know you guys have been across the world before, but we got a new batch of people here who have not. And so we're going we're gonna to get back into the game of traveling the world and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, okay? We're going to start right here in our own nation. We're going to go um, into Europe. Now, as we look forward into what happens with Thomas, Thomas is important, okay? I believe Thomas is important because when we look at Thomas, we always call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas was not present in the room when Jesus first appeared back in verse 19 and 20, Verse 25, the other disciples find Thomas. He reappears. He comes back to them. And they're, they're, he's the first one as a group that the disciples witness to. And they say, we have seen the Lord. What a message. But here's Thomas. He says, unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Y'all, that is stronger than doubt. That is rebellion. That is rejection of the gospel. Unless I see it, I won't believe it. That is not doubt. That is rebellion. And when we say, I'll believe, but on my terms, I'll follow, but on my terms, that is the rejection of grace, and that is a rebellious spirit. Jesus appears. You'll notice in verse 26, eight days after Thomas said that, he's gone a full week. Every one of the other disciples had seen Jesus. They spoke with Jesus. They had fish with Jesus. Eight days later, for eight days, Thomas lived in that rejection, wondering, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said it again, peace be with you. And then he looked straight at, Th he looked straight at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And we don't know if Thomas actually put his hands there 
I don't think he did. John didn't say he did. He just answers, my Lord and my God. When Jesus appeared to Thomas, my Lord and my God. That dry spell, that eight days, that's what happens when you come to Jesus on your terms. But he will supernaturally come to you again and he will come in such a way when you sense his presence again and when that happens, that is the response. I think the most natural response is just like Thomas, my Lord and my God. The confession, the repentance, and a turning back. Friends, this is how we obtain life. We confess Christ Jesus as Lord. It's not, it's not the power of your words that save you, but that confession it is that confession, that outward confession of what's already happened here in your heart. Trust and belief. Unlike Thomas, we must believe based on the testimony of the disciples. Thomas rejected their testimony. You and I go on their testimony. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. As we confess Jesus and submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord, we commit to following him as Lord. We embrace these truths personally. Friends, there is that relational element to this, that we commit to follow Christ. Yes, even into the mission of Christ. And if we look and see what Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God, here, Lord means master. You are the captain of my faith, the, fe- the author and finisher of my faith. Confession without commitment only serves to soothe your conscience as you are on your way to hell. You must commit to serve and love Jesus as your Lord. We always leave that out. But if you confess and you don't commit, you're missing half of the story. You've got to confess and commit. Surrender your life to Jesus because he is your Lord. That means we turn away from sin. But yet our churches are full of people who will confess but have never turned away from their sin to walk with Jesus. If the Jesus you're following doesn't have an issue with your sin that you're living in, if you don't sense a conviction over the sin, if you don't sense that conviction from God over that sin, then again, I'll say it like I did last week, there isn't, this isn't the Jesus you're following in the Bible. This isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's your own Jesus. You've made him up. Confession and commitment to Jesus as Lord. You're not saved by affiliating with Jesus and going to him when it's convenient because you need something. It isn't enough to say that Jesus is the great treasure in the field and do nothing about it. You remember that parable Jesus taught? He found the great treasure in the field, and what did he do? He went and sold everything to purchase the field. He gave all he had so that he could have that field because of the treasure. And that's what it is, beloved, to follow Jesus. You give all you've got to him. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect on your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org.